Welcome to Lavish Hope Season 3. I'm your host, Liz Testa. In this episode, I'm joined by Elder Irma Williams, Director of Social Services at Barrier Free Living, a New York City organization that supports survivors of domestic violence with disabilities and veterans with disabilities. She's also a proud Afro-Latina, originally from Guatemala, a mother of four, leader in her church, and a beloved child of God. Irma has a powerful story of how she moved from being a high school dropout, navigating addiction, a challenging health diagnosis, homelessness, and despair, to embracing God's love and plans for her life, and slowly but surely going through the needed steps of detox, setting up structures of support and accountability, to step into a new season full of possibilities, rooted in faith and the care of community, paved by educational opportunities and resulting in a life of abundance and giving back to others. Irma's journey has much for us to learn from, both personally and societally. So let's jump in. I'm so blessed and delighted to be here with my dear sister in Christ, mi hermana en Cristo, Elder Irma Williams from New York City. Welcome, Sister Irma. So glad you're here on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. To God be the glory. Yes, indeed. I'm to be here. It's wonderful. I'm so excited for our listeners to hear your stories of lavish hope, resilience, and overcoming. And so, um, Irma, can you just give us, just tell us a little bit about yourself, just so our listeners can get a feel for who you are. Well, I am Elder Irma Williams. I am the vice president of the consistory at the Reform Church, um, where my pastor, Reverend Dr. Michael Edwards, who is the executive minister of the regional senate, um, I am the youngest of eight. I was born in Guatemala, Puerto Barrios, Guatemala. I migrated to the United States, New York in 1974. I am a mom. I'm a mother of four children. Uh, my oldest son, Terrell, he's 37. Uh, Elaine, she's 26. Uh, Christopher, who's 25. No, Christopher is 25. And uh, Bianca as well who is 24. I, I am never married. Uh, I live on the Lower East Side um, at Magic Towers in the Lower East Side, right across the street from my beloved church, DeWitt Reformed Church. Um, I serve uh, in many capacities at uh, DeWitt Reformed Church. I was the president of the Women's Guild. I am a, I am a, a champion for women and children. Um, I, in my professional life, I am the director of social services at Barrio Free Living that's located in the South Bronx. And that's where primarily I grew professionally as a social worker. And that is the community in which I serve. Um, it's a supportive housing uh, for uh, men and women, single men and women, and also families who have a history of domestic violence and some disabilities, uh, deaf or hard of hearing or uh, physical disabilities. And these individuals survived the shelter system. And now we have supportive housing for them where they get to 
to begin their lives again after such a chaotic uh, uh, time in their lives and traumatic time in their lives. So now they have an opportunity to live independently with their children and move out of poverty and out of the, the violence that they've had. We still have some challenges, but for the most part, there's supportive services for them. And we have, uh, the family building has 50 units and the single building has 70 units. I supervise um, a multidisciplinary team, uh, which includes uh, social workers, occupational therapy, and the learning center. I believe that healthcare, nutrition, legal, Education is a right, not a privilege. Amen. And something that um, I am a champion about. Uh, people who are living in poverty and don't have the resources that we take so much for granted, um, such as a loaf of bread, some milk, safety for their children, a park to play, clean water, uh, housing free of mouse, mice, and rodents and rats. And, you know, it's, it's just an ongoing issue with the people in the South Bronx, but, or any neighborhood. Um, and, and that is something that I am so, um, my heart is for the people. That's, That's so me. beautiful. Irma, thank you for giving that as a little snapshot of that. And so it's going to be a beautiful conversation talking about like, how you got there to be the director of social services for this really important nonprofit in the city of New York and um, and to just be so active in your church as well. So let's um, let's shift a little bit to that first question I always ask my guests. What does resilience mean to you? How has it um, shaped your past and been shaped by your past? and um, maybe changed, uh, been changed or deepened by your own experiences. So what does resilience mean to you? Well, you know, resilience is, is, is I, I just demonstrated to you the, the, the rubber band um, scenario where you stretch a rubber band and it bounces back quickly. And, and that's one of the definitions for resilience, right? that ability to bounce back quickly from difficulty, right? Trauma, tragedy, threats, stress, any kind of difficulties, you, the resilience is in that is that you are able to recover. And the word quickly is not, is sometimes taken out of context because there are times where people are not able to recover that quickly, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so there are, there has to be some kind of community. There has to be some kind of support. There has to be some kind of resource. Because for me in my life, it, it, God always has the infinite wisdom to know the end from the beginning. <laughs> he knows he is the author and finisher of our faith. There's nothing that happens to us in life happens by accident. It's ordained by God. No matter, no matter what it is, right? So for me, resilience is just being in God, right? The, the, we try to see uh, an opportunity for God and for us to see God, right? And there is meaning in that. There's meaning in life. There's purpose in that. There's, there, 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 there's life in that. God is in that. Right? <laughs> that is, God is the one who holds the rubber band together. Hmm. God is the one. This is you. 
and your ability to be able to bounce back quickly and bounce back at all from the abyss is because of God. So beautiful. Yeah. So Irma, can you can you illuminate a little bit, like share a brief story of resilience and overcoming that could help our listeners understand what that means, that, re- that reliance on God? Um, I, I also want to say I really appreciate how you talk about the bouncing back um, from difficulty, stress, recovery, and I, I really appreciate, and I, I just want to make sure our listeners heard it, that you when you say quickly, you're talking about God's time, not human time, right? That we want to get, you know, we're New Yorkers, right? You're going to do it in a New York minute. That's not how it works, right? I, I really love that you encourage people with that. Um, the importance of that. There's a, there is a misunderstanding. There is a misconception about how quickly, and that's something that I've learned in my journey. Um, that that I had to sit, learn how to sit and wait on God. Right, you have to learn how to do that because after moving around, and, and, and the question I, I'm going to lead into that with the question that you asked you know, to, to tell a time in my life where, and, and there's so many different instances um, where resiliency and God is revealed, right? Resiliency in God is revealed. Um, I was lost in the world, you know, um, unlike the prodigal daughter, my mother welcomed me back uh, for many, 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 many years especially in the 80s when the crack epidemic began. I got caught up in that crack epidemic and I lost custody of my children during that time. Um, I do have four children. I remember I attended APSI uh, (laughs) in February and uh, uh, Reverend Reverend Friend um, was having a discussion and I was sharing about my kids and I said, wait a minute, Elder Erba, I thought you only had one child. I always hear about Bianca, Bianca, Bianca. And then, you know, she, she, and then I I shared my story that I have other children as well. And and during that time, I did lose custody of my children. And thankfully my, my family was able to gather around me and, and, and reached out, you know, to my children. I was able to provide the support and guidance that they needed that I couldn't give. And during that time of, uh, incarceration and homelessness and compromised immune system. I recognized, I recognized God in that hmm. because it was a dark time in my life. Um, I was arrested in 1989 for drug possession and I was sent to Rikers Island. And during that time, in the 80s, I remember that HIV and AIDS was at, a, at its highest. Uh, and people were dying every day by the thousands. I think we have some kind of a repetition with COVID where people were dying by the hundreds. And we didn't know too much about it. And I remember during that time where I was hospitalized several times. And I remember the nurses and doctors not coming into my room because I was they knew that I was HIV positive and they wouldn't come to bring me a plate of food. So I had to get up out of mm-hmm. my bed to get my plate, my food out the hallway because people were not coming in our rooms. And mm-hmm. I thought I was gonna die 
during that time. I really thought mm -hmm. I was going to die. And what happened to me, it was nothing miraculous because it is the glory of God. The glory of God throughout those dark moments, those darkness, that darkness, that God's light shines in someone like me. Right? Someone who's lost. I remember Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they get old, they will not depart. My mother trained me in God. And even though in that mess, in that loss, in that 20 years of all of that, my mother instilled in me to, that God will never leave me or forsake me. And even though I was not attuned to God at that time, I was lost. God was still there in the midst, molding me and protecting me and guiding me. So when my children were born, I remember my last two children were born after I was diagnosed with HIV. And both my children are tested negative for HIV. Praise God. That's the glory of God. Mm. You cannot tell me that God is not real. For God to show up in someone's life, in the midst of turmoil, and still, you know, when God, when, when we say God did not leave me or forsake me, we take it for granted because even in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, God was still protecting me, protecting my children because that was not supposed to be their testimony. God protected them even in the midst of that. So for me, for me, after I came out of that and I asked for help, and I remember, I remember being in an abandoned building, September 7th, 18th, 1997. I was in an abandoned building and I asked God to save me. And that, that was a genuine prayer. I've prayed before, but that one, God transported me to detox rehab, and here I am today. I was a high school dropout and I learned, I, I addressed my drug use. I went to treatment and I went to AA and NA and sought people who are, had the same similar experiences as I had. I went and worked, I sit, sought where people with HIV go to learn about you know, living with it, because I had to change my language. I'm no longer dying with HIV. I'm living with HIV, not Amen. dying, because God is not a God of death. God is a God of life. And gave, God gave me life. God gave me a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. And that's the kind of God we serve, a merciful God who do not see our faults. God wants us to just, okay, here we are. Girl, what you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> what you going to do, mama? All right, Irma, ven acá. Yo te, yo te traje aquí y yo no te voy a dejar. Yo, yo no te voy a dejar. Yo te voy a, yo te voy a estar contigo. Yo sé lo que estoy haciendo. Me trostea. Yes, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I have nowhere to go. I've been to the bottom. I've mm -hmm. been in the valley. I know how to look to the hills, which come with my help. 
where my help comes from, right? And my mother told me about Jesus. She didn't lie to me. I know for myself. Tell me about Jesus. Right? Told me about Jesus. So I just, I bless the Lord with all my heart because not only that he brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light, he died for my sins so that I can live. Mm-hmm. God lifted me up out of that play, out of that darkness and placed me on solid rock. And God said, now I'm going to put you back <laughs> where you came from. <laughs> I was like, what? You going to put me around people who use drugs? Are you kidding me right now? I don't know how to do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's going to be a trigger for me. No, I already delivered you. That's not your issue anymore. Wow. It's all right. I'm That's incredible. Right in because I want you to go and do. Okay. So you came up out of Sheol, right out of the pit. You got yourself the help that you needed. Mm-hmm. Through all of that, you are getting stronger, strengthening yourself spiritually, right? That was the thing. You really did cry. You cried out to the Lord, like, this is the prayer that is the transformational prayer, right? And then you went about doing what you needed to do to get yourself healthy again, right? Mind, body, spirit, and get yourself shored up. And then, and, and so I love this, right? We always say nothing is lost in God's economy. So... Right, God is going to take all of our stuff and is going to work it out and help us to work it out and then use it for good. And so just tell us a little bit about your journey then, because you said you were a high school dropout and now you're an MSW and you're in seminary studying even more. So just tell us quickly like that. How did you overcome that aspect, like the education aspect? Well, I, I, I started going to a drug treatment program um, in uh, Manhattan and they offered comprehensive care, meaning that you address your drug use. And then they, um, I re- I'll remember, I'll never forget him, Mr. Tony Asensio. He was the academic counselor. And he believed that, okay, okay now you're clean and sober. You're sober. Okay, now what? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean now what? Okay, do you, uh, you, have, a high, you have your GED? I said, no, nah, I don't have my GED. I said, okay, so now what? What do you want to do? Okay, I'll go get get the GED. So he, we had the GED training courses. I took the GED and I passed. So then I started going to Citywide Harm Reduction and I volunteered as a peer and uh, to address my HIV and talk to other people that have HIV and, you know, learn how to, how to live with it. And the counselor, she's since then passed away. She, I completed the program and she asked me, okay, now what? Wow. <laughs> now what? Uh, it was a nine-month program and I did it. And, and, she died, and I said, well, I always wanted to go to college. I was 36 years old at the time. I always wanted to go to college. And she said, well, why don't you? And she I said, well, I'm living with HIV. I'm going to die. She said, I, 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 I. We're not going to start that. I said, okay, listen. Stop at Hostels College, get the application for college. I'll bring it, I'll help you fill it out, get the financial aid that you need. And in two years, if you don't die, you will have an associate's degree. 
I said, okay. So I did that. I went, I uh, transferred from Hostess to Bronx Community College. And that's when my whole world opened up academically. I could not, could not believe. I was on fire. You hear me? <laughs> the first semester, I was. I, I, I said. I remember. I remember taking the GED test, the taking the GED courses, and I opened the booklet and I put my name on it and closed it because I didn't know anything on it. I forgot everything. So for me to be in a class in the first semester, taking four classes, remedial math, and I had college entry English. I might say. Okay, <laughs> classes. I'm here in the front. I didn't want to sit in the back because some high school students made me nervous. I'm like, they're not gonna show me out. So I'm in. I'm in the front of the class. In my first semester, I had all A's. I couldn't believe it. I I, I ran home and I, I I showed everybody on the bus. Every night, <laughs> I got all A's. So the second semester, I took five courses. The third semester, I was taking 18 credits. Because I was, I lived on campus. I, I gravitated to all the older people who were on near my age, formed study groups, and I was on fire. So after that, the academic bug was bit. I transferred to Hunter College to get my bachelor's. My last semester, my senior semester, I got involved in Welfare Rights Initiative, which is an activist program. And that's when I discovered that I wanted to go into social services. Okay. And, and social issues were was what I wanted to do. So I address social issues. So that last semester, Welfare Rights Initiative is an activist um, uh, group at Hunter College. Uh, it's in the 27th cohort. Delana Lewis and Maureen Lane are the co-directors. And it's uh, primarily to address um, uh, welfare uh, people who are on public assistance who are told that they cannot go to school. So we did a study that uh, and showed that 88% of in people who are head of households and uh, living in poverty have an 88% chance of, of moving out of poverty with higher education. Wow, that's a tremendous statistic, 88%. That's 88%, and it's more now. So we we rallied around getting um, the Republicans who always thought that people on public assistance have Gucci bags and we we have all this money that we can go on trips and all that. I don't know where this came from, but for our experience, people who are on public assistance work harder than anyone else. And then they were being told that they have to go work and sweep the streets instead of getting a high uh, a college education. And we showed that that is not that's not effective. Raise a woman, and most often it's the woman who's the head of household who's on public assistance. Raise her up, support her, so she could get higher education. And chances are she will never return to public assistance. I am I am the testimony to that. Amen. Amen. Because now I have a I have not had to go back and get public assistance, which is nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. right? But Help me get a higher education. Don't put me to sweep the streets for me to collect $67 when I can just go. You could use that time for me to go. So we came up with the work study and internship law that was signed into law. Wow. Uh, where we can use our work, work, uh, work, our work study and internship 
of hours towards web work experience program so that we don't have to come out of class to go to public assistance and sit three hours or four hours right because of what's happening right so that was the primary the primary thing still today I still go back and uh, speak to the students uh, at Hunter College that's coming in and uh, also we go to speak in to high schools because counselors are no longer able to tell a high school student that they cannot go to college because they have to take on the responsibility um, and stop the generational uh, public assistance, being on public assistance. That's so, right. so we go into high school and tell this, the high school students that, yes, you can get higher education. You don't have to be on public assistance. You don't have to have your own case. No, you're not going to come out of school to go to do a recertification, work around that, right? So that's, we were able to maintain, and, and to, to the, uh, yesterday I was, I was actually looking, uh, it's in the, I was cohort nine. <laughs> <laughs> Maureen Lane was cohort one. I was cohort nine, now I was cohort 27. So that's that's my journey. And then after that, uh, bachelor's degree, I, I gained employment with citywide harm reduction. And from there, I stayed there for about two years and I went back, I applied to get uh, my master's degree. So I worked towards my master's, the OYR program, uh, while I was working full-time at Citywide Harm Reduction. Okay. And And so then you got your master's in social work. In social work. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. So then that, like, you had this lived experience you then got this spark on fire for education. And I mean, that is, I, I have to say, like, that has got to be so inspiring for people to just hear, I mean, the particularity of it. And I love how then that catalyzed you to want to be part of equity for education, right? For people like yourself. And I think that is, it's so beautiful to see a story of that. I mean, that is true overcoming, right? And 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 that is, you know, I just think about, you know, you came from Guatemala, you were raised up, um, you know, by a mother who had dreams for you, right? And 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 you had challenges, but then God brought you through and you overcame that and you were able to live fully into what God had for you. It's such a beautiful, inspiring story. Irma, thank you so much for sharing that. Now what I'm I'm just I'm interested in is um when you don't when you don't have that sense of resilience, when you're feeling weak or tired or just, where, where do you find that sense of resilience when you, don't, when you don't have it? Like those times when it was overwhelming for you. And the people I serve, mm. I see that um, all around me. Um, and, I, and, and I think it's safe to say, Reverend Liz, that it's not very often I feel that anymore uh, because my hope is in God. Mm-hmm. And God brought me out. God brought me out. This I get tired sometimes. Yes, I do. But I guess to answer that question is more, mainly more to speak to someone who may not be feeling Resilient at the moment, mm-hmm. but for me, I, I find it in the people that I serve. They face the horrific circumstances every day. Mm-hmm. 
I, when I'm feeling that way, I, I tend to sit and I look at, my, at the tenants and the people I serve and I say, oh my God, my God, how do they make it, right? Sometimes I ask those questions, but I do know, I already know how they make it. It's because of God. Mm -hmm. They may not know it at the time. Sometimes there are people who don't feel that God is near them, that they don't feel worthy of God's love. I know I felt that. I came, uh, I came back to church and my mom was still alive at that time. And I came back and Reverend Dr. Holloway was the pastor at that time. And that God spoke through that woman to me. Every Sunday is like layers and layers and layers just coming off of it. I never felt worthy of God's love because of so much I've done. Yeah. And what I kept hearing is that God loves you. That's what I kept hearing. God loves you. God cares for you. God don't want you to, God already forgot about what you did. God wants you to grow. God wants you to come. God wants you to just live, live life abundantly. God does not want you to suffer. That's what I kept hearing. God, that's what I'm, so that's what I happens to me when I, when I see the people of God who are still lost and who are still hurting and who are still traumatized and who are still in the dumps and still feel that, that no one loves them. I look at them and I say, and I try to be that, that light, that hope. So I, I guess I, I guess to answer the question is I go within to find our resiliency and then it comes out. Right, I go within, and that's that's what that's where God is within me. Yeah, right. Well, and you, and then I, I don't know. Well, you cultivated that sense of worthiness, that godly sense of worthiness. That's what I'm hearing. That back when, right, when you were struggling, when you were just coming back into the fold, coming back into the church, and you were. You, you know, because that so many people have this in all different places and for all different reasons. That sense of unworthiness or uh, being unlovable yeah. um, because of something, right? Some shame. Yeah. And what it sounds like to me is you're able to, like, you stockpile that. Yes. when, And so now if you feel like you're lacking some kind of resilience, you immediately can go within and tap into that. That's accessible to you. And I think that is such a beautiful thing for our listeners to think about and to embrace is that we all can have that, right? That's that beauty of that personal relationship with God is that 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 is, you know, that's within us um, to access and to use um, in any circumstance, right? That and then and then to share that with others. Yes. And then to see it reflected in others. I think that's also, we call that the Imago Dei, right? It's like, yes. that's the image of God. We're made in the image of God. And so you're seeing that in other people as well. You're seeing that beautiful, um, beloved child of God in the other, even when they can't see it themselves, I right? Because that was me once upon a time. I just saw God in me and I didn't see it. I remember a mother came, approached me years ago when I first came. And she's like, I think you could be a deacon. I'm like, what? I was, I was being an usher. I was just all I wanted to do is be an usher. Right? Stand at the door. And she came up to me and said, I could be a deacon. I think God, God spoke to me and I, uh, called, uh, he's calling you to be a deacon. I'm sorry. No, 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 not me. <laughs> but you know, that's how 
people, that's how we are. You know, we see the beauty in people out there that they don't see themselves. And it's so befitting, you know, for us to really think about that. I remember I, I, Romans 15 and 5 says, may the God who gives you endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, right? For us to encourage one another, for us to, to develop one another, to, to tell one another that you can endure this, you can make it, you can make this, you, you're okay. Okay, you don't, you can't get up right now and dust it off, I'm gonna get down here with you. I'm gonna sit down here with you until we are ready to, to get up together, okay? Oh, you wanna lay down? Okay, sometimes we just lay down. Right? I'm gonna lay down here with you, let's pray. Okay, I won't say a word. Quiet. You want quiet? We're going to lay here together in quietness. I have to say a word. Help people to endure. It's so hard to go through things by yourself. Yeah. There's a reason that a, a coal, a lit coal cannot stay lit by itself. You have to have other lit coals around for it to kindle. You're kindling that fire. Even if that fire is quiet and it's slow, you don't see it. You just see the smoldering. But you're still together. You're both, all everybody together. So, boy, my fire, my, my light is a little bit low or dim or not at all. It's just a little, I just, I can't, I ain't got nothing else. <laughs> you know, your fire can kindle mine and keep mine going until I'm ready to roar again. Right? So, oh, I so, love that image. Irma, that is beautiful. You're onto something there. And that speaks to your comment at the beginning about community. A community. Exactly. That when you needed that support, it was community. That was the first thing. That was the word you said, was community. And so I see that reflected here in this image of those coals all gathered together, creating that warmth, right? And bringing life, right? And then, and then, and then kind of covering for each other. Absolutely. And that's how who God is. God is within us. That's why that's why when, when the church building closed down for COVID, yo, know, church is closed, church is closed. No, church is not closed. We are the church. We are the church. That's why Jesus was able to preach and teach the word everywhere he went. He didn't have a house to go into or a building or a synagogue. Every time he went to the synagogue, they kicked him out anyway. They want to kill him. <laughs> You know, so he's like, I'm gonna be with the people. I'm gonna go to the well and talk to this lady. I'm gonna go to the lepers. Yeah, I'm gonna go to the blind. I'm, oh, this guy has been sitting at this gate forever. Let me go by and see. Right? God was with the people. Yeah. You know, God was with Mary Magdalene. God was with with his mom. God was with Lazarus. God was every Jesus walked everywhere. He went with the sinner and the beggar and. He went to Skid Row. He didn't want to hang out with the righteous. He has too many of y'all, okay? <laughs> That's, it's so important for us to remind ourselves of that, right? I won't be around the righteous, okay? Y'all too fake. Y'all fake, right? God wants to be with the people. Yeah. It's real. Yeah. Right? We're the church. It's real. We have real feelings. We have real challenges. And with the glory of God, always shining in us, through us, around us, under us, above us. There's no way we can fail. Nah, nah. 
We can't do. Well, my next question is, where is a place where you find hope? So you're already telling us all about it. But what, I, what I'm wondering if you can just tell us a little bit more about your story, about your journey, because one thing that I want to bridge us, I want to just, I think our listeners would find interesting, is that that journey that you made, you got your MSW, and then you, you, you alluded to it before. Then when you ended up with people who are struggling serving people who are struggling with the same thing that you had. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? And then also this newer calling that you have now with barrier-free living. Can you just quickly just narrate that for us? I think I think it's, it's it completes the picture of God at work in you. So, you know, I really didn't think about it, Reverend Liz, when I was in the process. Uh, I know that I lost custody of my children, right? I regained custody of Bianca when she was five years old. Um, and and that, that particular experience with her, I was so scared that I was going to mess her up because of all the issues that I had and I was dealing with. So I had to hold on to God and changing hands. And I had to rely on the, on my, the prayers of my mom. I talked to my mom all the time because I was, I was afraid. Sure. This this little girl, I gave birth to her, right? And my sister in California came and got her and took her to California. And then she passed. So that's how I regained custody of her and brought her to New York. So she grew up in, in California. She came to New York. So for her, for me, with her, I was so worried about her. And I and I laid her, I, I brought her to do it. I brought her to church. And everybody rallied around us. Um and to help me navigate motherhood, something strange to me, even though I had four children, but I was still mm-hmm. new. Navigating my academic uh, journey and, 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 and God, you know, and how that fits into this. So I had to really hone, and I, and I, and I keep doing this because I, I had to put on blinders you know, so I won't look to the left or to the right or behind me or ahead so that I could stay in the moment and work to whatever came that day. So whatever came that day, I stayed in the moment and I stayed in the journey. I stayed in that moment to be able to, 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 to cope better yeah. with everything that was coming at me because I was so unsure of everything. I wasn't sure of myself. I didn't have self-confidence. I didn't have self-worth. I was still struggling with those de- demons, you know, and those voices in my head that's telling me that I'm not, I'm less than that. You're nothing but a drug addict. Are you going to die? And, and, and you're, 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 you're a worst mom ever. And how could you leave your kids? And all of this. Those saboteurs, I, right? They can be so powerful. And it's in it's my so own real. Right, so it's all in my ear. That committee that gathers in your head, you gotta kick them out sometimes. Yes. (laughs) So, so, so that journey from that to where uh, I am, it, it, it's all God. God's hands is all in it. It wasn't that. It has nothing to do with me, Reverend Liz. I don't even know how to answer that question because I know that early on I had to be obedient. Yes. And to trust in God. Yes. No one else can tell you about God but you. Right. You could tell me all you want. 
God loves you. God this, God, you know, but if I don't believe it for myself, it's not gonna work. So I had to learn how to believe in God to know that God knows best and for me to be able to just sit still. So you sat still uh-huh. and and you started to cultivate that sense of believing, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so you told us about then you, you know, got your youngest child and then you were able to start raising her, right? And doing that well. And she's a beautiful human being. <laughs> well, I know her well through our church circles and she's just a beautiful human being. So you did right, mama, you did right. But then at this, I'm interested in this piece of, where you came from, you got through the schooling, right? You got your MSW, and then you said that you were working with the okay. the welfare rights, and yeah. then you moved forward, and you said you were working with people who had been like you. That's the piece, because I think that's what's so beautiful when we're talking about, you know, where do we cultivate hope? Where do we find hope? It's like God reveals to us in due time, you know, what happened to you back then? Oh, don't worry. I've got a plan for you to be able to, that's going to be worked out for good. That is going to be worked out for good. And you're going to be able to use those experiences to bless others. Amen. So so just how did you get to that Okay. working with you. those HIV drug addicts? Drug users. Drug users. Thank you. Drug users. So, so um, I went to a meeting. Uh, in a meeting, and I raised my hand. I said, my name is Irma, and I'm an addict, and I'm also HIV positive. And then a, a gentleman in there, I'm still friends with him today. He saw, he talked to me, and he said, you know, I got a place that we can go to. They have a, a workshop that they're starting. It's in this uh, first uh, cohort, and we can go, and you can learn a bit about your, you know, your compromised immune system, and you can learn more. And they have a... Uh, a volunteer program, they give you $40 stipend, and he gave me the whole overview. So I went to City One Harm Reduction, and I met, I began to uh, participate in Blunt Reality, which which is a peer program, where they give you, it's a six-month-long peer program, and they every week they, we have um, different topics such as HIV 101, Hep C 101, and all of that. So I began to work with people who are have a compromised immune system together. And, and just like that call, that one call, I was the one call over here by myself, thought I was by myself. I got together with other people mm-hmm. with like minds and like uh, uh, circumstances, and I was able to connect and learn and know that I'm not going to die, I'm going to live. So from right. there, that's when I met the counselor who encouraged me to go and get my uh, application for Hostels College, and I started school, and I graduated. And from there, when I got my bachelor's degree, I said, okay, it's time for me to go to work. (laughs) So I went back to the same program that had the Blunt Reality program that I went to, that I participated in uh, with the participants, of which I was a participant as well. And I I went back and I asked if they had any openings. And they hired me as the peer program uh, coordinator. Uh-huh. The same program I graduated from. Wow. They saw leadership in you, didn't they? That's amazing. Yeah. Uh huh. That's great. <laughs> so, so they hired me to be the uh, Blood Reality Peer Program. And 
I started to work with the individuals the same way I came in. I started working with them and I started coming in and recruiting and people and having these facilitating and doing the workshops myself and hiring the peers will work also in their internship. And I, I oversee all that. And then I was uh, promoted to case manager uh, for the peers. And then after that, I was promoted to the director of the peer program. Right? Incredible. That is incredible. The coordinator for that same peer program. So I, and then we developed the horizon program, H E R horizon instead of uh-huh. whole Horizon. Uh, it's just for the women to develop women and and and, and teach them about the women's issues and, and how to live with HIV and and you know all the things. And then we I started training the women to do little, little work around an agency, uh, clerical work, just like I did. I remember my first Dahlia Heller. She was the CEO. I, I, she everybody was going into a a, a, a meeting. And then she's going to put a whole bunch of 100 tokens in my hand. Many person who used to be a drug user and, and, and stealing and all of that. She left 100 tokens in my lap and went to a meeting and I had to take care of the people at the desk. I was so scared. Revelous. I said, this lady, trust me. Oh my. I, I kept looking around. I said, somebody watching me. And when you say tokens, are you talking about subway tokens? Yeah, subway tokens. That's what subway tokens. Subway we have to translate for people that don't know, don't remember back in the day in New York City, right? I was like, she trusts me. You know what that did for me? Yeah. That's you know what that did for me, Reverend Liz? That's incredible. Oh, my God. The lady trusted me. with, And I, I felt so... Orgullosa. I was like, wow, professional. Oh. <laughs> It was just the tokens. It was just something. Just uh, I was, I was a good steward. Then she came back and signed, make sure everybody signed. So from there I went, and I got that job. And then I became a coordinator. And then I was encouraged to go to school. Right. Okay. So I started. I I applied for my master's in social work. That's Amazing. It. I, and I grew there. I stayed there for 13 years. And from there, uh, it was it was a time for me to move. I was scared to leave. I wanted to retire there, but it was time for me to grow. So another opportunity came up about Refi Living, and I applied for the Senior Behavioral Health Coordinator position. And I went to work with Refi Living in 2018. And within a year, I was promoted to Director of Social Services. And that's where I am currently. Amazing. And right now I'm thinking about, not thinking, I I am, God already revealed it to me that I'm going to enroll in the New Brunswick Theological School for to to work towards my MDiv. I think it's time. I I think that um, I have a lot to offer God for his people before I leave this Mm -hmm. earth. Yeah. And the only way to do it, I think that, you know, I think I believe in training. I believe in that we ought to be knowledgeable of the things of God. You know, um, we're not going to know everything, but I think that it's our responsibility to, yeah. to be positioned, to be, to be, to, to work towards preparing ourselves, always be prepared. So when God positions you and puts you to, to where he, he wants you to go, he already, you're already equipped, right? Yeah, you're so equipped. Good. 
you're, you're, you're ready. You're positioning yeah. yourself. It's so good. And, uh, you know, you're saying the MDiv, that's the Master of Divinity, which is the degree that is required in our in the Reformed Church tradition that we are part of, that is, and many traditions, many Christian uh, Protestant traditions, that is required in order to become a minister of Word and Sacrament. So that is part of our training. Just like you became an MSW to be a social worker, you get your MDiv, is part of the credentialing to become a Rev. And so... Um, I am so excited for you because it's like, you know, one one master's wasn't enough, huh? <laughs> so so I think that's so beautiful because I think for for our listeners who are just getting to know you today, Irma, they cannot help but be so inspired by where you came from, all you went through, how you just hung on, you know, to God through all of that and all the ways that you articulated, right, through community, through remembering your mother's teaching, through rally, you know, taking your child to the church and just saying like, you know, I'm here and just for them to rally around you. And then all that beautiful um, trajectory of going through all those educational steps. And I love how you named, you named them, the mentors, the encouragers, the facilitators, the supervisors, the people in your life who helped you to know what next step you needed. And I think that that, for me, is such a blessing for our listeners to hear that because, you know, it's the United States. We like to be independent here. Mm -hmm. And we know, though, that if you're going to really follow the Christian tradition, the Bible teaches all the time about the apprenticeship model, about people getting the wisdom of the elders, you know, just what you were saying, train the child up. We need to... We need to see who's around us that can help move us forward and who can who can support us in that. So does that all resonate? Am I am I capturing that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, because that's what I'm taking away today. Um, yeah. I just want to, before we close out, I'm just wondering, you've named several scripture already. Do you have any other scripture verses you want to share? Uh, uh, early on, when I went to detox, I was in such a bad shape. Um, I, I stayed in detox for 11 days. Usually the time for detox is either four to five days. And I could not sleep. I could not stay awake. I could not stand up. I was in such bad shape when I finally made it to detox. And my mom and my brother, Selvin, I used to smoke cigarettes at that time. And my brother, my mom would not buy cigarettes. Well, my, my brother did. My mom, she said, mom, she needs it. She, she, she really needs it. So, so I'm saying that because I've forgotten everything. Everything. And what pained me the most that I forgot how to say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven. And the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And as you know, in our culture, that is the two prayers that they teach us. <laughs> our parents, especially our mother. Then two, listen, if you don't know that, something's going on. It's just like the ABCs and your one, two, threes. So, so I, 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 you know, at that, during that time in detox and rehab, I, I committed to memory those two scriptures, right? Those two scripts, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, which is the Lord's Prayer, and Psalms 23. And I committed to my memory those two prayers. And those are the two prayers that, that I have a lot of scriptures that I love. 
but those particular two are specifically meaningful to me because not only those are the prayers my mother taught me when she introduced me to Jesus, because she knew one day that I had to hold on to Jesus' unchanging hands, that she cannot save me. Hmm. My children cannot save me. My siblings cannot save me. My church, my pastor, my job, none of that. Only Jesus. And when she gave me the tools to withstand the darkness of this world, because that's the gift, not only the gift of life my mom gave me, right? She gave birth to me, but she also gave me Jesus. She gave me Jesus. Now, those two scriptures are, are, are the cornerstone because I know that the Lord is my shepherd. Hmm. I want for nothing. Hmm. I want for nothing. Everything that I have, God has provided for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he is, he keeps me away from temptation. He strengthens me. Yes. You know, and, 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 and he allows me to be at peace. Yeah. He allows me, he gives me rest. Yes. He leads me in, in the path of his righteousness. That even though I'm among people where the trauma is so thick, that, that the evil is so pre is, is present, that God protects us all, in the, even in the midst of that. And you could able to speak to that thing that keep our people in bondage, you know. And that's what prayer, prayer is so important. Mm -hmm. I often, you know, we often sing that my mother prayed for me, but it's really, it's really, it, it's not a joke to me. It really not. Those those prayers, I'm still, I'm still on the fumes of those prayers. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're yeah, 23rd Psalm, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, Jeremiah 29 and 11. Mm -hmm. Do I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, right? That he will not, he will not cause any harm to come to you. you know? I know the plans. He will not harm you, and he will give you hope. Yeah, so good, so good. So I think you you've already really said it, but how are you cultivating hope today? Mm. By showing up. Showing up whenever, wherever God wants me to go. Mm -hmm. Continue to, to stay in prayer and ask God to give me a humble heart. I'm not perfect. I fall short every day. You know, um, I have my issues, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> listen, catch me on a bad day. Listen, you know, but I, I just, I just, I just think about, there's a quote by Desmond Tutu. Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. And that, that's in a nutshell right there. Yeah, yeah, so good. So good. 
despite all the darkness. Desmond Tutu said that. Yeah. And I love that song. I I think about my mom because my mom used to in Guatemala Guatemala and in Jamaica. She loved education. That's why I'm such a proponent of education. She she barely, she she never had a high school. She tried to get her GED, but she never accomplished it. She wanted to go back to school. She wrote poems. She loved to read. She loved her mind, her mind. She just always used to lay out in Guatemala in the fields and just look up at the planes and the sky. I'm going to travel. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. She was always one, one that inspired learning and, 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 and growing and traveling and, you know, all the things, good conversation, politics. She loved it. You know, and I think about the song by John Lennon. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I am not the only one. I hope mm. someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. You know, and she was always a dreamer. And she dreamt of of, of travel, of education, of people. Of, she used to get on her bike back home. And we didn't have much to eat. But she would gather everything at the end of the day and and whatever we had left over, she'll pack it up. You know, remember young things I used to used to put separated. It's it like a, it, I don't know. Anyway, she would pack up the food, the rest of it, whatever was left, and take it and give it to somebody that had less than us. Wow. The social services. She was the yeah. first social worker I ever seen. And she would sit in the hammock and eat mangoes. That's that's what she would eat. She would take a couple of mangoes. And at the end of the day, after she delivered the last bit of morsels, it wasn't much tortilla, a little bit of beans and some crema, whatever it was, right? And she would take it and then she would come back and take a couple of mangoes off the tree and she would sit on the hammock and eat that. That was her dinner. Hmm. But she knew we were fed, we were fed and her neighbors were fed. That's so beautiful. Well, you are her legacy, She lives on in you 100%. That is for sure. So thank you, Irma, so much for being on the podcast today. Is there any final thing, anything that you want our listeners to know, any projects that you're working on, any anything that that you want to share with them? Well, I'm glad you asked. I remember listening to um, Reverend Dr. Greer uh, on the dismantling racism a few months ago, and she was talking about revelations i forgot where where she got that from and this is revelations when you see the sea of people dressed in all different colors and different languages and when we all get together oh hallelujah what a time that will be and that's what i see hallelujah that we're all listening to the word of god in our own language and that we are able to worship god hallelujah in our own language, and that's what I see. And, 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 and the Spanish ministry, if you were, you know, and, and bringing that in diversity and a multicultural, uh, you know, Easter Sunday, we're going to have an early morning service where uh, I am going to preach in English. And uh, Elder Jose, we have a new elder, his name is Elder Jose Nieves, that he, uh, we, he was, came from Gethsemane. And he's going to preach in Spanish. And we're going to have other clergy. Uh, but so that's my, that's my, that's what I ask God to give me and pour in me and to grow in me. 
to be able to bring the people together. Yeah, so beautiful. And, so, and, and talk about God in our own language. That's Revelation 7 and 9, that all the tribes and tongues are together, right? So beautiful. So people can find you, DeWitt Reformed Church on the Lower East Side, the Lower East Side of New York City. And um, both, there's English worship, but then you also have your Spanish ministry that you are cultivating now. Cultivating, yes, we're cultivating it. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Multi-language ministry. That's my. That's what I would like to see happen. But we're starting with just Spanish right now. Yeah. We're worshiping together, fellowshipping together, praying together, expressing our culture together. I love it. You know, I love that. <laughs> I think that it speaks to, and that's my last. That's the last I'm going to say. Uh, it speaks to the to exclusion. God is a God of inclusion. And if we are, if we take on that attitude that we want everyone to be included, people who are homeless will not have a problem coming into our churches. People who are drug users are not going to have a problem coming into our churches. People who are hurting are not going to have problems coming into our churches and worshiping with us, or just meeting us where we're at. You don't have to. You don't have to come into the building. Just come, and you are welcome. That's beautiful. God has got you on assignment, sister. God bless you. Thank you so much for all you've shared today on the Lavish Hope podcast. What a blessing it's been to be together. And um, all the best to you and your family and your continued living into your amazing calling. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for listening. I hope this episode has offered insights and sparked ideas for what lavish hope, resilience, and overcoming mean for your own life and calling, as well as those around you. If you'd like to connect with Irma, she'd love to hear from you, especially if you need support of any kind. You can email her at godsosweet at yahoo.com. That's G-O-D-S-O-S-W-E-E-T at yahoo.com. To learn more about Barrier-Free Living, where she's Director of Social Services, go to www.bflnyc.org. To check out her church in Lower Manhattan, go to www.dewittrca.org. They'd welcome you there with open arms, whether you live locally or are in New York City for a visit. If you enjoyed this Lavish Hope podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and reshare any place you're on social. You can also connect with me directly at ltesta at rca.org. This episode is brought to you by faithword.org, an online learning community where you'll find ideas for living out your faith, reflections on scripture and church, stories about how other Christians are following God's call, and resources to bring your own church or organization along for the ride. The Lavish Hope Podcast is produced by Anna Radcliffe, with assistant production by Lorraine Parker, sound design by Garrett Steyer, and web support by Grace Ryder. Hosted by yours truly, Liz Testa. I want to give a special shout out to Barb Ellis, who has moved on to a new calling in another organization. Thanks, Barb. Your faithful support of this podcast has helped us succeed. Thank you, and God bless you on your journey. 
And now, friends, until next time, may you find ways to cultivate lavish hope and build resilience each and every day. God bless you.